You're very welcome back to the Locker Room Podcast. This is episode number 28. Uh, this week, we've got a, a, a really interesting guest with us. He's a well-known, highly successful coach throughout, especially the Leinster region and around Ireland uh, at colleges level, club level, and also at inter-county level as well. Um, current vice principal of Good Council College. I can't list the amount of teams that he's working with currently or in the last few years, so I won't even try. Um, my my coaching mentor and my playing mentor, Aidan O'Brien, is with us. So very welcome, Aidan. Thanks very much, Karen. You're very welcome. Good to see you. Good, good. Um, so we try we tried to get the instigator of of good football down in Wexford in colleges level and intercounty level to bring him on the show, but unfortunately Kevin Kyo couldn't make it this week. So you're you're here with us instead, Ed. Yeah, I'm sure I probably have uh, tried to fill the the boots or be a, an, a, an ample substitute for Kevin on a number of occasions, and uh, <laughs> I'm sure he'd be. Uh, somewhat uh, amused at the notion that uh, I would be talking to you about such things when it really should be him. <laughs> well, the, fir- the first question is, do, do you, your generation of, of, of coach, do you know what a podcast is? And second of all, do the Department of Education know that you're using their time to um, come on and chat, chat about coaching to me? Um, well, answering the second part first, the Department of Education are getting full value for their money, <laughs> where I'm concerned. And uh, I'll be here long after uh, the recommended hours this evening and the evenings. But uh, as for knowing what a podcast is, yes, I've heard about it. <laughs> I remember, for, for uh, obviously for the audience, they, um, they, they, I'm sure they wouldn't know. But so you, I, I got to know you well from a very young age, but... Uh, coming into Good Council College in New Ross in County Wexford as a 12-year-old. Um, you were our coach all the way through at, at colleges level, schools and, co- and colleges level up to the 18. And then a, a few years later, then you got involved with our club with Horswood in Wexford. And, and we went on to, to have a very successful period, most successful period in, in certainly in our, our history of, of the club. So... Um, Definitely, I wanted to get you on at, at some stage to have a chat through, through coaching. So we'll, we'll touch on a few things about um, your coaching career and even on, on your playing career as well, which I want to mention as well. And then just some things about how to, how to develop a successful team and, and the environment around a, a good team and going on that journey with a group of players. Um, I, I will mention, before we jump in, we'll mention... Uh, thanks very much to our sponsors, Ripped.app as well. At all stages, they're on board with us um, and showing us great support. We need to pay the big wages to bring the big guests on the show. So um, luckily, we've got sponsors supporting us at all stages. So, so Aidan, you're, you're a, a more or less at this stage, you're an honorary Wexford man. You've been in Wexford now for many, many years. Um, you probably hit the national headlines initially when you helped steer a Wexford football school to All-Ireland um, success, All-Ireland A College of Success with Good Council College. Um, do you, shall, we, shall we start there just about your time with, with 
what happened? Well, let's let's go actually with your playing career first, and then we'll move on to to Tolman College and 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 Good Council College. So so I remember at one stage you said to me as a player with your career, you wish you had focused more on yourself and your own football out on the pitch rather than marking your man and just doing your job and everything like that. What what, what did you mean by that? Um, okay, yeah, I, I think that I probably may have said that. Um, I suppose what I really meant by that at the time was that when I think back of my own days playing inter-county, which were, uh, you know, um, I played for Westmead, obviously that's where I'm from originally, and I didn't play for them for a great number of years, but I did play for them for a few years. And you know, typically I was wing back for Westmead during those during that period, we would have been very much uh, a Division Four team at the time. We would have been right down at the bottom of the of the of the the, the food chain, really. Uh, although you know we had a few notable days, um, and look, as a player myself, I suppose playing wing back and recognizing my own limitations, my my initial uh, default position was to try and make sure I didn't get skinned. And didn't uh, sort of uh, come off the field having been exposed badly, which could very easily happen. I mean, uh, I was marking players that were far better than I was, uh, far better footballers, quicker, uh, more skillful. And I suppose uh, I was really just beset with a sense of um, wanting to not be uh, badly exposed and obviously felt that maybe I could contribute best to the team by just making sure the guy I was marking wasn't uh, doing too much uh, damage uh, to us. Um, You know, I would have marked... At the county level, you know, you're playing against maybe the likes of Vinnie Claffey of uh, of Offaly. I remember marking uh, Colm O'Rourke, actually, in a World Cup game one day. Um, In college, I, I, I remember having the the unenviable task of, of trying to mark Barry Coffey a few times. He was playing for UCC at that stage when I was in Tormund. And I suppose what I meant by the comments that I made to you were looking back on it now, you know, perhaps uh, it would have been more gratifying and there may have been more satisfaction to be got from having had a bit more of a go myself, let's say, get on yeah. the ball or look to be involved more. I mean, there were games, I would say, that I played back in those days where I hardly kicked the ball, yeah. but uh, my man probably didn't <laughs> kick yeah. it very often either. You know, yeah. it was very much defending that day, that that time. Whether you were a cornerback or a wingback in those days, you were a defender. I mean, yeah. notion of um, attacking wingbacks and so on was uh, wasn't uh, born at that particular stage. So yeah. I suppose that was what I had in mind, and uh, I envy the. The, the, the halfbacks nowadays who get to indulge themselves and express themselves and get forward and uh, get so much involved in the play. Now, obviously, given my limitations, I'm sure I wouldn't make a, a modern uh, inter-county team to uh, be able to uh, carry out the tasks that the, that the current wing-backs uh, carry out. But there you go. Yeah, well, uh, I always remember you had a sweet left foot down in the training pitch anyway. Uh, is show, shown at different times. Um, 
it's yeah it's an interesting point you make because if i think back to my own career at times if i wasn't fit or coming back from injury or maybe going through a a lull in confidence or something it, it was a real problem when you started focusing on the opposition player's game rather than your own game and what i found was that you you really instead of going to try and get on the ball yourself and looking to get involved yourself in the game you spent as much time kind of worried about your opposition player your marker and what damage he's doing in the game or what damage he can do to you um and usually it didn't end up kind of in a in a good way it's it's funny because when i look at now the lads in qpr and and the sport of of soccer you're constantly involved in the game like you're, you'll get so many touches on the ball that you have ample opportunity to express yourself and maybe if you're not good enough to probably show that you're not good enough as well but it, it, i think it can be a problem in gaelic at times that it can be difficult to to get on the ball for for certain players i, I suppose that's true yeah but i suppose at the top end nowadays uh, it's more um uh, you know, there's there's more opportunity for players, no matter what positions they play, to um, you know, to express themselves, to uh, you know, uh, deploy the the range of skills they have. I mean, we've seen you know cornerbacks on Merchant march forward and stick the ball in the net in the All Ireland replay. I mean, you yeah. see wing backs repeatedly get forward and uh, cause lots of damage. I mean. Wing backs, winning forwards. Listening to Stephen Poacher there last week, I mean, he re- was referencing the, you know, the, previously where wing forwards would drop right back and wing backs basically be the ones to do the attacking. And um, so, look at um, the game has changed, and obviously it's evolving all the time. But from the time I played, let's say thirty years ago, uh, to to now, I mean. There are players and types of player who would have been uh, getting their places on teams um, back then that wouldn't, um, yeah. wouldn't make an intercounty team now. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, not, I'm quite sure I could probably fall into that. <laughs> to be honest about it, but um, equally, I suppose there were forwards. There were, I mean, there were players who played up front in those days. Very skillful players who certainly wouldn't be seen on an inter-county team now simply because of the the, the physical uh, challenges. But now, obviously, you know, every every game, every sport, every athlete really operates in the time in which they they live. And, you know, we might look back at games from the past and think that the hurlers back then or the footballers back then wouldn't lace the boots of the modern footballers. But... I suppose those guys were as good as they needed to be in that era. And if they were given the opportunities to develop as modern players are, they probably would have been just as good in the, in the current era, you know? Yeah. Well, I suppose you you can see that in the hurling even as well. Like we're in a brilliant era of like Joe Canning and TJ Reid and guys like this and, and the stuff that they're doing on the pitch and the scores they're, they're racking up. I mean, it's, it's, comparable to any player in history but people will always go back to Christy Ring and Nicky Rackard and and you know whether they romanticize about that I'm not sure because as you say like what would Nicky Rackard do in the current era for instance look at the same could be applied to any sport I mean 
uh, Roger Bannister when he broke the, the four-minute uh, mile. I mean, are we to assume that if Roger Bannister was born in, uh, you know, 25 years ago and was and was running now, that he would only be able to run a uh, four-minute mile? I've no doubt that that's not the case. I've no yeah. doubt that he would be, again, uh, one of the foremost athletes in the world. But uh, at that particular time, that was the, the standard, and he 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 broke through a, a barrier and 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 you know set a new standard. And as such, he was the greatest of his particular uh, time. And yeah. you know, um, that's just that's that's all anyone can be. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I would assume, never having seen Christy Ring playing in the flesh, that he was a spectacular player, uh, and that uh, if he were around today, that he would accommodate the, the modern game and uh, be equally uh, gifted and, and, and wonderful. Oh. Yeah, exactly. I suppose that's why as well, when people say that no, there'll never be another Christy Ring or there'll never be another Roger Federer, I, I'd be very careful of ever saying that because like one sports star inspires the next generation and, and like look at the Dublin team, the current team now, you know. Well, I agree. I agree. And look, there's no doubt in my mind that the, the skill levels, the athleticism, uh, the you know the the speed of the modern game of football and hurling, and I mean rugby, obviously. I mean any field game, it's 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 it, it's much higher than it was. I mean, just to watch the modern hurlers, watch the Limericks, the Galways, the Wexford, any any of the top sides, and that just skill levels in terms of the touch, the accuracy, uh, you know, it's phenomenal. And uh, likewise in football, I mean, the movement, the power, the pace, the, you know, the um, skill levels are, are far, far higher. I mean, the, yeah. the efficiency, I mean, and it's, that's being, that's happening in the face of uh, greater challenges in the sense that the opposition are also, um, stronger, faster, fitter, or whatever. And, uh, you know, to be able to, uh, you know, exercise that sort of um, skill level uh, or deploy it in those circumstances is, is, is it's very impressive, you know? Yeah. You said to us once that Matt O'Connor from Offaly was w one of the best, if not the best, players you, you, you ever saw, or the way he played. Yeah, well, I've no doubt... Like I haven't changed my mind since I can assure you. Yeah. Uh, Matt Connor was the best player I've ever seen. Yeah. And I did see him on a few occasions. I never played against him. Um, but like even when you look back at some of the old All-Ireland Gold games, he's the one player that even still stands out for me with the gracefulness of his movement, and the, the accuracy, the finesse, the left foot, the right foot. Uh, and I think the thing that really uh, uh, appealed to me was the sheer modesty. Uh, you know, you'd never see him celebrate or anything like that. And the volume of scores he racked up for his club and for his county was extraordinary. And I suppose a skill that was very much in vogue that time that has sort of died out to some extent, since, not exclusively, I mean, all frees were taken off the ground at that time. Mm. And it wasn't at all uncommon for players to take sidelines off the ground, as they had to be, and put over the bar. Yeah. And in fact, a guy from my own club in Westmead 
Uh, he subsequently he, he got a, a dual all-star uh, replacement award one year. It was a guy called Willie Lowry. I mean, I remember Willie Lowry in a Leinster club match uh, taking a line ball off the ground against Port Leash, actually, and, and scoring with his right foot. And from the opposite side of the field at a later stage in the game, taking one with his left foot mm. and also scoring. That's incredible. Incredible, incredible. And you, you don't see that skill as prevalent in the game now because it's obviously being able to take freeze from the hands now is replacing for a large stage. You know? Yeah, and it, it, it's a, it was and is a brilliant skill. You know, if you think back to the free takers down the years, very famous. Yeah. Can, can, can I jump back then to um, Tolman College? And like, I'm not going to say what years you were there, but during that period seemed to be like the amount of really successful coaches, um, but managers, but also people like at the, the, the highest levels of Sport Ireland or the National Coaching and Training Centre, as it used to be called. Like it seemed to be a really a kind of a flourishing era for coaches. Like was, was, that, where, was that where your initial kind of coaching journey be, began then, as, like starting as a PE teacher? Well, obviously, that's where I, I, I attended college um, and trained as a PE teacher. And, like, I mean, I think I probably had um, uh, an inkling or a, a longing for coaching, if you like, uh, prior to that. Because even in my secondary school days, I went to a school called St. Finian's in Mullingar. And it had been a, a very strong footballing school uh you know, back in the 60s and so on. But while I was there, it really had fallen back towards the bottom of the of the of the the, the hierarchy in a football. But we, we competed, and like I remember playing um, against Carmelite Moat in a Leinster Championship, and they had John Mon, Val Daly, uh, they had several other well-known players from Westmead and Offaly, and they only beat us narrowly. But we were very much left to our own devices in school because really wasn't anyone to take care of the teams um, and uh, I remember coaching in, as a sixth year a first year team in what was called the Brother Hubert Cup and we got to the final and uh, were beaten by St Mary's Mullingar by a point and I always felt that uh, we were actually robbed and it was the fact that they had a teacher over their team that made the difference in the uh, something happened I won't even bother going into it now but uh, I feel we were hard done out of it and that sort of whetted my appetite, obviously, for doing Yeah, yeah. But, but obviously, look at it home, and it was the only PE and training college in the country at the time. And it was, I suppose, somewhere that people who were interested in sport and interested in coaching and interested in that field were naturally going to um, be drawn to. And, um, you know, while I was there, there were some fantastic people uh, there in, in my time. Uh, and obviously, prior to my time there, they had, especially in football, obviously, they, they had won the All-Ireland Club football title um, back in the late 70s. Uh, I was there in the, in the mid, early to mid-80s. And um, look, at they had a, an incredible team. Pat Spillane, Brian Talty, Brian Mullins, to name but a few. Mick Spillane, I think. Um, uh, several other uh, really well-known players. Uh, so they were a phenomenal team. And... Yeah, so I suppose you're in an environment where you're training to be a PE teacher, but mm. I suppose it's only natural that in tandem with that, given that you have a, an interest in sport, coaching uh, is going to be um, something that you would be. And yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, no. It's, uh, I mean, there were some brilliant characters, and as you say, players who came, came out of that era. You, so you, you took a job in, in Retford and you were off, uh, in Good Council College, and I'm interested because I know Good Council College were successful prior to you coming and, and some other teachers down through the years, but it seemed to really quicken the process then at that stage. And, and like, I, I suppose what the audience are interested in and the listeners are interested in is thinking about a school and a college from a, let's say traditionally a weaker county like Wexford and how, how teams from that college then could go on to compete and will win multiple Leinster titles, all Ireland's, and I think it's just interesting that that kind of process. Do, do you want to just mention a little bit about those kind of early years and, and what were some of the, like what were the structures that were put in place or, or how did it come about that actually this, this school became so successful? Yeah, well, well obviously, Good Council had always, you know, been a, involved and, and had had a certain amount of success in in in, in colleges uh football and hurling was um i i started there in 86 and you know it certainly wasn't down to me that uh that they became um you know as successful as they were throughout the 90s and so on i suppose the, the circumstances that allowed us to become a strong colleges force were a, we had a principal who was very um, uh, keen uh, to see the school successful and who didn't uh, take kindly to defeat. Uh, so that kept his coaches motivated because you heard about it when uh, you didn't win. So uh, Father, Father John Cosgrave, who were, we, were, we were petrified of, but if you were a good footballer or a good hurler, you were, you were okay. You got a pass. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I suppose there's a certain amount of truth in that. Uh, obviously, uh, I didn't experience Father Cosgrave as a student, but I, I certainly did as a teacher. And um, uh, I can assure you that the staff were just as petrified of him as uh, <laughs> the students were. Uh, but he had, uh, he had, look, Father Cosgrave was one of those men who, uh, when he wanted to achieve something, whether it was getting buildings done here around the school or whatever it was, he sort of got it done. And uh, he certainly um, would have uh, motivated us in the sense that he, you know, encouraged us, uh, um, had expectations in terms of what we were doing with them, uh, you know, but also supported us in the sense of, um, you know, um, ensuring that, you know, we had whatever we needed from the point of view of resources and so on. Mm. But we would have put in a huge effort. And I mean, like there were, I suppose the key, I always think that the key to a, a, a college being successful is it comes down to teachers within that school. I mean, you won't find a, a school in Ireland that is uh, winning a choral at festivals year after year without identifying a teacher in that school who's responsible for driving that in that direction. Yeah. Uh, equally, schools that do well in um, debating, you'll find that there's a teacher in the school about that and drives that particular uh, uh, area. And the same here in our place, we had a number of people, uh, you know, like Mick Purcell and the Hurling, uh, Andy Dunn was there at that time, and uh, then myself, Brian Teague, 
uh, in 93, then Kevin Keogh came in. So there were, and there are many others since, uh, obviously, who have contributed hugely. So there were a lot of people here, I mean, who are willing to put a lot of time and effort into it. And I, I mean, curiously, you know, you see some schools who maybe struggle to get people to take responsibility for teams and extracurricular. Yeah. But here you'd nearly have to uh, apply with a CV uh, to get over a team at times. You know, there's a lot of people who are willing to give their time freely and uh, get involved with teams. And like moving away from the maybe the, the, the topic slightly, I mean, from a teaching perspective, I mean, for me personally, my experience uh, of education over the years and the rewards I've got from it have been accentuated greatly by being involved uh, in extracurricular activities. I mean, it allowed me to get to know students, obviously, in a different context. It allowed me to get to know some of their families better. It just establishes relationships with students, which obviously then makes it possible to do more work with them in other areas. It's just a fantastic thing to be uh, to be able to do. Now, look, uh, it was probably easier then than it is now with you know all the other demands that are on on people uh, and so on. But so at that time, then there were the secret, I suppose, to us succeeding was that. We had a principal who was very supportive. We had a number of uh, staff who were willing to put in the time and effort. And I mean, I'm talking about effort that um, involves when we would come back from a game, we didn't just drop the lads off at the school gates and have them make their own way home. I mean, you'll know that we, we serve very much a rural um, hinterland here and our students come from you know, uh, you know, as far away as 20 and 25 miles, you know, all the way out to Timon and down to Mullinavash and swinging right around Kilkenny there and what have you. But we would actually drive them home. Yeah. So I would take, I didn't have a car of my own in those early years, but uh, there was a, a car there in the school that I'd be given and I would drop four lads out to Glenmore. Then I'd come back and there'd be a few lads waiting and I'd drop them off out to, I remember I used to drop Larry Murphy to Paul Pasty. <laughs> and uh, other lads out to Raheen and out to yeah. and all these places and it actually gave me a great um, insight and a great early lesson in the geography of my local uh, community and yeah. all of that has been something that has been very beneficial to me uh, over the last 30 years here in, in, in my no. yeah. so those are I think the things that um that allowed uh, us to to move forward, and like in '86 when we started here, um, good times were operating in B grade in hurling and football. Uh, by '89, yes, we won the under 16 B football in '89. Uh, by then, by 1990, in those three four years, we had moved to A in everything. And had already started winning A titles. The only exception was the senior football. And we remained B in that until 93 when we won the All-Ireland. And so by 1993, we had now won everything that was to be won in B. And we had already started picking up some titles in A, especially in the hurling. Yeah. And two, the year after we won the B All-Ireland in 93, I remember thinking we had a fairly good team 
and uh, a good friend of mine was teaching and still he's principal now in, in St. Mel's of Longford, who were obviously the kingpins. And I said, you know, we get a challenge against St. Mel's because, you know, I think we're good enough to be operating against these guys. And we played St. Mel's in a friendly and he gave us a lesson. And it opened my eyes to the gulf that needed to be breached in terms of the, the, um, yeah. the uh, A, uh, top of A. But by 95, we were in the Leinster A final and uh, we won it. And we won it again in 96. And as you know, we went on then in 99, I won the Leinster again and won the All-Ireland. Yeah. So those were great times, uh, great years. And uh, uh, you were involved yourself in 99 and... We mightn't mention 2000. <laughs> Was that where I'm, I'm still being blamed for not win, win, bringing an All-Ireland back to the school by certain members of staff? <laughs> well, well, in truth, we had a brilliant team in 99. Yeah. We felt we had an even better team in 2000. Yeah. You know, in 99, when we won the Leinster, or sorry, won the All-Ireland, we were the first Leinster team in 13 years to win the... Uh, the All-Ireland College's title, and uh, I think it sort of maybe opened the eyes of the other schools who thought, geez, if these guys can do it, uh, we can do it. And yeah. obviously, you know, it was Pat Zanavan who beat us in that semi-final in Carlo in 2000, and yeah. uh, we let it slip. We, were, we should have won that day, no question. And, yeah. and Pat, interestingly, went on to win the All-Ireland that year. And I do remember Colm O'Rourke after the game speaking to us and saying that, you know, essentially we had sort of, um, uh, you know, made them aware of the possibilities uh, by, yeah. uh, you know, uh, ploughing the furrow we had ploughed the previous year. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, there was a great, there was a moment in that game when a certain... Uh, Wispish forward from Horace Wood bore down on goal and uh, somehow... Um, uh, she hit the post, was it? The post. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, look it, at... Uh, it must have been deflected, I think. It must have been. Uh, you have been... Um, you have been rejected from our records here and... <laughs> well, do you know... Do you know and Kevin Kyo till, still talks about the killer Kyo. <laughs> when he, I met him, I met him in Wexford Park, I think the summer before last, and and the first thing he said to me was that <laughs> after really? after any success with Wexford or or you know working in in with London or QPR, and that was the first thing he mentioned. <laughs> so, that still hurts. I, right. well, no, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, indeed, you made a you made a good contribution while you were here. That's for sure. <laughs> The, 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 it's interesting about Pats and Avon because, like, when you look back at those team sheets, you often see, like, Jesus, he, he played that day and he played that day. And, you know, I remember we beat, um, was it St. David's or St. Declan's in Dublin? And uh, 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 as you say, a, whis a wispish wingback, he was actually that day, uh, had a penalty in the last minute to beat us two points behind. And I think put it wide, and who was it? Only Alan Brogan. That's right. That's right. It was he didn't put it wide. He actually hit the post, and it was right. literally, and I mean literally, the last kick of the game. The ball rebounded off the post, and it rebounded so hard that it nearly went out to the middle of the field, <laughs> and the referee blew the final whistle. I never forget it. I remember yeah. it cost me a stopwatch because <laughs> we were winning that day, as you know, going into that 
final moment and the ball went, a high ball went in and it dropped in the square and Kevin Stafford actually went, bent down and he handled it on the ground, picked it off the ground yeah. and I flung my stopwatch on the ground in <laughs> exasperation and broke it and uh, Gary Conway was in goals, Alan Brogan stepped up, took the penalty, hit the post, game over and we went on and won that final comfortably against uh, against Damaris at long. Right. Oh, those are the fine margins, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I I think Alan Brogan at that time or just afterwards he said, "Go counsel college the bane of me life." We were at that time for him. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah, he said that to me once afterwards. <laughs> but it's it's just interesting to look back, and I know some of those lads from Navin who went on to play intercounty for Meads said that. They, they won in All Ireland that day, you know, down in Carlo in that quarterfinal, and and they actually went on to win two in a row All Irelands because they won the following year when when we were involved again. Yeah. But in in some ways, it was I I think of our time back in Good Council as you got an education, obviously, and a, and a really really good education. And there's it's no coincidence that a lot of the schools who do well at sport do well academically and extracurricular things and you know it's, it's good people it's good structures um but aside from that we we got an education we got an education in football that's what i thought and that when we entered into the school it was like wow this is this is a whole different ball game <laughs> this is this is not club and i always thought from from the age of 12 to 18 I mean, colleges was far more difficult than county. I always thought it was a far better game, a more difficult game, better players. And in ways it was, in some ways it was, the, it's the purest form of sport and the purest form of hurling and Gaelic football because fitness didn't come into it as much. And, you know, the, the different aspects of it. It was just, it was pure sport. And that, that's why it's lovely thinking back at it. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, young players at that age, I mean, there's less, there's no cynicism, really. Yeah. They just want to play, and they play with a degree of freedom. And obviously, from a coaching perspective, working with schools boys is so much easier mm. than working with, um, you know, well, working with maybe adult intercounty players, for example, because, you know, obviously... Young players at that age, they're much more willing to listen. They don't think they know more than you or they, you know, they, they sort of put their faith in you to know what you're talking about and to guide them in the right direction and to, you know, um, obviously, you know, they, they, they are more easily motivated and they're more easily, um, I suppose, uh, what would I say, uh, cajoled into sort of really... They buy into um, the, the 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 idea of uh, representing their school, and you know they become very proud. I think of wearing the school jersey and so on, and it means a lot to them. And yeah, obviously, um, you know that's something as well. I suppose that made it possible for us to uh, have a little bit of a self. Uh, propagating a thing in the yeah. school and that you know the younger players wanted to emulate the older lads and they would go to the games and see the, the, the razzmatazz and the drama of it and the excitement of it and they yeah. then used to 
be on the school team and what have you. Yeah, so it was great. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting linking in with that. That at that at that period, I would have been far prouder playing for Good Council College and bringing putting on the the blue and white stripes of Good Council College than Wexford even because you could just identify with it was your school. You could identify with the team. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, yeah, of course, you have a close bond with the lads that you're uh, playing with. They're your your friends that you're sitting with them every day. You can obviously uh, indulge the um, the success and, and and sort of absorb it. Uh, it the day afterwards when you all meet back in school and talk about it with each other. You know, you, you have more. You're obviously together much more than you would be even with a club group because. Uh, yeah when you're in school obviously you're you're there every day and you know there's there's um there's the capacity to build a team in a more uh complete way uh, even if it isn't within a shorter time frame than um than maybe is possible always at, at, at international yeah. or even club level yeah yeah the, the the local girls school coming along to support you in the big games that that used to help a little bit as well Obviously, but we, we, I we, think, I think that was Niall Collins, uh, <laughs> the great Niall and Steve Collins. <laughs> the, the, the last couple of things just on that, on that period that I wanted to mention about, I think once, and it's important when you're thinking of building team success and everything, like once there is, has been a little bit of success in ways, then you're kind of setting the bar high for everybody that comes afterwards because you're setting a kind of an environment of excellence and tradition. So, for instance, in the sports uh, uh, building, then there would be pictures of that 1993 team, you know, with brilliant players, the 95 team, the 96 team, Jason Lawler and Lee O'Brien and David Shannon and Richie Purcell and, you know, going back well before that even. And it, it, it as you say, it's self-propagating in some ways then that, the players who all come behind and are looking at that and say, well, that's, that's the level, isn't it? That's what I want to attain as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, obviously, look, at, uh, that's, um, like if you think back to, the, um, to that period that we were referring to, like when, when the lads won their first senior title in 95, it was also the year we won our first ever Leinster A under 14. Mm. And... Uh, we won that up in Carlo after extra time against St. Michael's and Trim. Yeah. And I think Darren Fay may have been playing for Trim at that time. Yeah. And, uh, we then won the under 14 again the following year. And that, that, that team, so we won our first senior in, in 95, uh, A, uh, the team who won the first under 14 in 95 and won it again in 96, they became the team that won the senior all Ireland in 99, you know, yeah. Yeah. So there definitely was a continuity and a continuum there. Uh, yeah. And obviously the older lads were inspiring the younger and so on, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to mention that day then in 99. Uh, like how fitting was it that, I think it was the last Colleges A final held in Croke Park, I think. But also because of clash of colours between Go Council Blue and White Stripes and St. Charlotte's in Galway, that Good Council had to wear Wexford jerseys. And how fitting was it that, that it was a Wexford jersey in football that was winning in All-Ireland? Well, look at it, obviously, I 
suppose at the time we didn't really mind uh, what jerseys we were wearing, provided we were uh, we we were still it was good council we were representing first and foremost. And I suppose you must remember that there were uh, three or four Kilkenny fellas playing with us that day, yeah, and they didn't mind pulling on the extra. <laughs> and in fact, there were two Wicklow lads playing. Uh, here on Highland, who went on to have a stellar career with Wicklow, Wicklow, yeah, and who I remember particularly fondly here. And Kieran, Kieran never played football till he came. Yeah, and Philip Gleeson, uh, likewise, yeah. Philip from Arklow was also playing. And then you had Michael Field and from Kilkenny, and the late Keith Madigan, Lord of Mercy, yeah. the centre back. Yeah, uh, you know, so we had Kilkenny fellas, Wicklow fellas, Wexford fellas, uh, yeah. but they were fundamentally good council fellas. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if it was the last uh, game. Uh, I, we did play in Crow Park and it was televised and so on. I'm not sure if they have uh, played any uh, yeah. colleges finally in Crow Park since. Uh, not sure of that, to be honest. I, yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so because they were they were refurbing the, the the stadium and everything. And it's it's interesting when you say about that. Like if you're to think of an All Ireland A colleges. Uh, backbone by Wexford footballers and then you're adding in Kilkenny, Wicklow and not that year but many other years Waterford as well mm. and it, in ways it shows the purity of schools and colleges and that it, it doesn't always matter where you're born <laughs> like you don't have to be a Kerry footballer or a Dublin footballer that there's loads and loads of talent in in every county and like for instance I remember going going to UL uh, uh, a year or two after that and going to the first year year's team and it was a second year you know in charge of it like there always was in in, in um, third level then and he was a Kerry guy and when I said I was from Wexford he had a laugh he had a laugh at me and I just thought I was raging because I thought well who the hell does this fella think he is just because he's from Kerry he thinks that yeah. he's better than me um, so it's an interesting one. Look at there you go. I mean, uh, I mean, in in more recent times, um, we've had uh, success at All Ireland level. The under 16s won the All Ireland there. Oh, it must be six years ago now, and um, they beat um, uh, St Brendan's Killarney, and uh, <coughs> David Clifford was playing. Mm. Uh, but we had a guy playing that day called Tom O'Connor, who is now with Southampton. Yeah. soccer club and uh, he was probably the star of the show that day yeah any man yeah he was the most outstanding player on view that day i i think he everybody spoke about him he was a phenomenal footballer thomas yeah. from kilkenny uh and uh you know like you say <clears throat> like over the years like here some of the best players we would have had football were kilkenny fellas i mean some fantastic players now obviously they ultimately went back to uh, concentrate on hurling by and large and many of them went on to be very good hurlers you know I mean Walter Walsh was a fine footballer um, you know Jerry Edwards scored 1-4 for me in a, in a Leinster final uh, you, you know Kieran Joyce all of these guys were exceptional footballers mm. um, and I suppose they would have been good at any sport um, but um, no there isn't a, there's no I suppose colleges allows you to overcome the um, limitations that might be there as a county. Uh, and yeah. I suppose even club does to some extent. I mean, you can see clubs from counties that would be considered weaker counties. 
counties mm. who over the years have competed very favourably, like Aero Oak from Carlo. Yeah. Uh, you've had, um, uh, you know, was it Balting Glass in Wicklow uh, were a super side. Uh, you know, there have been teams who have booked the trend in the sense that it's because they're from a county that has uh, is labelled as a weak at a particular sport. Uh, they haven't uh, conformed to that as a club or indeed ourselves as a school, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it, it's very true. I have to mention before moving, because I want to come on to Tommaso O'Connor, actually. My, my dad was a, a very conflicted feelings that time in 99, with uh, St. Charlotte's of, of, um, in, in Galway because he was, he was captain of their under-14 team back in the day of St. Charlotte's and had to, because his dad took a, a job in, in, uh, in Loch Ray then in, in south of Galway, he had to move school and he was devastated. And he, went, he ended up picking up um, rugby in, in uh, Garbally. I think it was Garbally. Garbally, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, well, look, uh, yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know your father had gone to St. Charlotte's, but sure, St. Charlotte's of June were the um, you know, they were the, the top side in the country for so many years, and I, yeah. I they may still have the record for the most All Ireland's, uh, I think so, yeah, phenomenal side. And I suppose, look, they wouldn't be as prominent now, uh, and it's a reflection really on, on how the thing has changed overall in the last 20 years like when I went to school I mean colleges football was really the the domain of the old um sort of um diocesan colleges that you know the the St. Peter's and the St. Kieran's and Good Council and the, or sorry uh, St. Binion, St. Jarlett's, uh, St. Pat's of Avon and so on, St. Brendan's of Killarney but obviously the nature of the secondary second level education has changed hugely over the last uh, number of years so that now you know there are schools that may not have even existed then that are uh, competing and uh, winning uh, titles and you know the demographics have changed uh, hugely and um, some of those old schools like um, Knockbeg College uh, not Knockbeg but Ballyfin sorry up in Leash doesn't even exist as a, as a school as such anymore I mean Things yeah. have changed very much in that regard, you know. Yeah, I think that uh, also, and I want to bring in the Tomas O'Connor and everything angle as well. Now that it was probably like a criticism of that uh, of previously was that PE was Gaelic football hurling, and maybe when the GA season was finished, then uh, you played a bit of soccer, you know, on on a, a Friday afternoon or whatever it is. And I know, like, and from speaking to you, how different PE is now in that there's so many different sports being played and there's so many, as you mentioned, like extracurricular uh, activities in a school. I mean, it, it's changed. The focus has changed somewhat in schools as well, hasn't it? Uh, well, it has, of course. And look, I suppose there's a much greater understanding of um, what, PE physical education should be. I mean, actually, in in, in good counsel here, there, there was no timetable PE until myself and Brian Teague started teaching here in 1986. And look, we would have, um, you know, uh, done PE in, in, in the sense of doing lots of different activities. I mean, 
I remember, you know, doing basics and gymnastics, and obviously we were doing court games, field games, athletics. Yeah. We were doing a range of different activities, um, you know, within the context of the PE program, and you know, trying to educate young people in terms of their movement, in terms of, you know, uh, trying to uh, uh, consider the activity in their lifestyle and yeah. so on, and. You know that has become much more, um, I suppose, much more embedded now. Yeah. And sure. Now, uh, like for example, this year we have, with our fifth-year cohort, uh, offered uh, PE as a leaving cert subject, right. um, which has only been uh, on. It's only been available for the last two years, uh, and we now are, are are one of the schools who are offering that. Uh, previously, obviously, that wasn't an option, but it's it's great that it has become an option, uh, and uh, you know it's obviously something that would suit certain uh, students. Uh, yeah, an interest in that area. Um, you know, I suppose. Look, sure, sport. I mean, you know yourself, having gone on to do a sports science degree, and 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 much much more beyond that. The whole world of sport as a as a, I, I suppose a. A phenomenon, an industry has just uh, grown out of all recognition in terms of, um, you know, the possibilities, the, uh, you know, the, the levels of expectation. I mean, obviously, it's it's not it's it's a different discussion, but, um, you know, whether it's for better or worse, it's hard to say. I mean, yeah. but uh, in terms of a school and its offering of PE, well, I think it's 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 essential that you would. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, the the the, the recognition of, of of the importance of well-being and uh, you know that is obviously something that's uh, very much embedded in the in the new junior cycle curriculum in schools. Uh, you know, obviously, it's there's a greater awareness of that, and as such, PE is forms a huge um, uh, element of that. You know. Yeah, it's great. It's great to see now the amount of work that's going into like people's mental health and, and well-being and the positive effect of exercise on those things. And, and you can see that that's embedded in schools now and, and bringing in people to speak to students. And it's, it's fantastic to see. It's, it's interesting to see in Good Council that some of the most famous ex-students are not GA players or anything like that, but Tyg Furlong has gone on to be a lion. <laughs> and play for Ireland in rugby. Uh, Kevin Doyle, obviously, in, in the same year as myself, went on to have a, like a brilliant career with Ireland and, and obviously with Wolves and Reading. And as you mentioned before, Tomás O'Connor, I just see actually a couple of days ago, I think he was announced in the Ireland under-21 uh, uh, soccer squad for the upcoming games and seems to be I've, I've kind of kept a close eye on his career. He's doing well in the under-21 team, under-23 team with Southampton. So it's, mm. and obviously as well, uh, a lot of famous jockeys and, and um, horse trainers. Yeah, yeah. No, we have, uh, we're very lucky in that there have been a number of um, uh, students who have gone on to achieve great things in, in, in the world of sport. And you've mentioned obviously Tig in the rugby Kevin in soccer. I mean, Greg Bulger. I get a, yeah. a shout out. Greg yeah. uh, won his, I think it's his third um, League of Ireland medal uh, yeah. last week with Shamrock Rovers. He already has four FAI Cup medals. 
uh, then you have people like um, who's also playing soccer. But look, we would have had a hell of a lot of lads who have achieved a lot in hurling and football as well. You know, particularly in hurling, I suppose, with several All-Stars have gone through the place. Uh, I think the last three times Kilkenny won the All-Ireland hurling title, uh, the man of the match was the past few years. Wow, amazing. Um, you know, so there's lots of, um, lots of good, uh, lots of people have gone on to do uh, uh, well in sport. And there would be lads here, uh, Adrian O'Connor, a past few um, I'm in the Olympics for Ireland. Yeah. One year, the year Ty was here actually, and he's living third year. I remember taking a photograph. I think we had seven lads who were Irish internationals in seven different sports. Uh, there was show jumping, badminton, rugby, swimming. We have a boy who was on the Irish water polo team. It was I can't remember it. All of them just off the top of my head. So you know, we've had we actually had two years ago here. One of our leaving cert boys was Irish national men's high jump champion. Wow! Not just under eighteen, but the Irish men's champion. You know, well there are lots of um, lots of talented lads. Look at I'm sure most schools have. Know, have students who go through their school who are very talented and like we wouldn't be for a moment claiming credit for those fellas achievements but you'd like to think that at least they may have absorbed something in culturally or uh, in terms of values that do uh, stand to them uh, in the context of the high-end sport that they're competing in yeah. You know, obviously, Tyg Furlong isn't the rugby player he is because he came to Good Council College. Mm. But, you know, in terms of his rugby, but I know Tyg would have, a, you know, a very strong uh, sense of um, attachment to the school. Uh, and I'm sure there were other things that he acquired here in terms of the people he met, teachers who influenced him, that probably imbued him with other characteristics that uh, have stood to him in the highly competitive world that he's trying to uh, yeah. put it in. Yeah. And, um, you know, very often those strengths or those qualities are as important as the, the, the skill set. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. Kevin Doyle always struck me while he was here as just being somebody who was so solid, grounded, uh, strong character. I mean, I'm sure he won't mind me saying, I mean, there were plenty of lads who went through the school probably as skillful as him in terms of what they could do with a football and so on. But uh, once Kevin got an opportunity and a door opened for him, he wasn't uh, going to be denied pushing right through. And, uh, you know, he really maximised uh, out on his uh, on his talent. And, you know, it's a great credit to him, the way he conducted himself always and the and the career he, he he carved out for himself, phenomenal, yeah. fantastic, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and you see, I think even when it comes to coaching players and coaching young people, that's a, a dimension that is so important, that yeah. they acquire sort of uh, values that allow them to, uh, uh, I suppose, capitalise on the talent that they have. Because you'll see a lot of talented players who will just fall away because there are other dimensions that are not uh, taken care of. And that, um, you know, they, um, they just can't, you know, 
they don't have the perseverance they don't have the uh, resilience they don't have the you know the coping skills maybe that are required when it comes to trying to um, operate at the top end of sport so yeah no we've been very fortunate with the guys that have gone through the place and uh, I can't not uh, pick you up on that mention of uh, jockeys. Uh, <laughs> we have a phenomenal uh, association with horse racing, and it's mm. again just, I suppose, as much by um, just the, the geography of where we are and the, and the community that we serve. But yes, yeah, so, so Aidan O'Brien has been in school here, uh, uh, the horse trainer, and uh, he. Uh, the, the other Aidan O'Brien. The, the, the yeah the uh, <laughs> uh, fairness uh, you know currently we'd have a lot of the top jockeys in Ireland I mean Shane Foley was second in the um, in the uh, jockeys uh, flat jockeys championship this year he's won a couple of classics Shane was here uh, Sean Flanagan is leading national hunt jockey at the moment in Ireland Sean was here Jonathan Moore was here Tom O'Brien a leading jockey in England Tom Doyle mm. I mean I'm leaving out people now but there, uh, there are a lot of young apprentice jockeys at the moment in Ireland John O'Connor uh, Mikey Sheehy Danny Sheehy all came to school here I would say of any sport our uh, influence in racing is greater than in any other sport and it's phenomenal yeah, yeah. actually and people often say they're, they're, they're gobsmacked that so many of those guys all came to the same school and yeah. you know I, I was just looking at the Melbourne Cup there last week or before and the guy leading in the winner was a good council pass pupil the guy who led in the winner the year before was a good council pass pupil yeah. the year before that the winner was owned by two lads who went to school here and it's just I think out of four of the last five Melbourne Cups on the other side of the world we had a very direct association with the winning earth. Yeah. It's extraordinary because I wouldn't even know that, you know, and, and you, you'd be steeped in the sport of the school and everything like that. But like, I'm sure people are, were, are looking at good council and saying, well, what, what are they doing down there? You know, producing these well, jockeys and trainers. Yeah. Well, obviously, look, we don't, there's no school sports in, 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 yeah. In, 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 in racing but there are inter-schools show jumping and um, yeah. uh, and, and current trials and that kind of stuff and that would be I suppose to some you know be a partly uh, hmm. uh, responsible but look at I mean I obviously as you know have a, a passion for horse racing <laughs> and it would be my my number one uh, sporting love yeah. really and yeah. I mean I have brought boys uh, on tr school trips over the years down to Aidan and Bally Doyle to Jim Bulger's to Michael Halford's to um, Jessica Harrington's and I've obviously brought groups over to Aintree oh, God, I don't know how many times now over the years yeah. and some of those fellows have maybe I, I do know let's say that you know someone like Shane Foley I, I know his experience in going down to Bally Doyle and going to Aintree uh, did influence his thinking around uh you know getting into into racing and there are others too i remember coming away from bally doyle one day having had the boys on a tour down there and meeting aiden and everything else and there was a, a lad sat beside me a young fellow on the bus on the way back up and he said oh when i get out of school i want to work in a place like that and mm -hmm. he did go on to have a very uh, uh prominent career uh, working in racing after so you yeah. know i suppose these are the kind of experiences beyond the sort of the the narrow uh, 
academic experiences of a child's uh, life in a school that can um, add value, if you like, to their um, to their holistic development. I suppose to, yeah. to use that well-worn phrase. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's, it's interesting because in 2007, I think spring of 2007, Bilo, Paul Beelan was manager of, of Wexford and he brought us, it was the weekend of a training camp we were having down in Limerick or Clare and on the way in Tipperary we stopped off in, in, in I hope I'm getting this right, in Coolmore stud and we, we went in and met um, the other Aidan O'Brien and it was probably before the period where you went and listened to people from other sports and from business. And like nowadays, every football, you know, team, every soccer team, rugby are learning from people in business and other sports. But back then it probably wasn't done as much, but it was just brilliant to hear Like he had a horse. He he was showing us a horse uh, that was, you know, worth 20 million euro or whatever it was. And he, he was telling us how he navigated training the horse, um, uh, dealing with the owners, dealing with the, the, um, the owner of Coolmore Stud. And, yeah. you know, it, it, was, it was just fascinating to hear like that they were operating at such a high level and, and to get some information uh, from people like yeah. that is, is yeah. incredible. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, I mean, I, I have been fortunate enough to have spent a few mornings with Aidan down in Ballydoyle and the Gallops and what have you. And I mean, it's a fascinating for me, obviously, because I'm interested in it. But just to spend time with Aidan and to, you know, to observe him and to listen to him and to sort of um, just reflect on the way he does things. And I mean, mm. what I found with him is that. One of the things that strikes me about top class coaches, he never doubts himself. He, mm. Like Aidan might be talking about a particular method that they're employing in, at that particular time and something that they're doing. And you'd be sort of thinking to yourself, I'm not sure that makes great sense or whatever. That doesn't necessarily, I'm not sure if that would be a great, but he's yeah. absolute. And once he, um, is committed to a particular way of doing something. It strikes me anyway that there is no prevarication. He doesn't say, I wonder am I doing it right or gee, I wonder do I need to, you know. And I mean, obviously in that game, no more than any game, you're going to be, you have as many, if not more, defeats than you have successes. Yeah. And I suppose the danger is when you lose, and this goes for any sport, that you start questioning, were we doing things wrong? Do we need to change things? But I think with Aiden, no, just... He's, he's committed to a way of doing it he, yeah. he's satisfied that it's the right way to do it he believes in it and he pushes on with it yeah. and I think that was something that uh, I felt was uh, was valuable and uh, worth, um, worth noting yeah. and, and I, I might have mentioned this to you before I mean look at, reflecting on, 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 on horse racing vis-a-vis coaching and everything else in terms of football or soccer or any of the games that we would be involved in. Like, I was reading a book there last year by a lady called Henrietta Knight. And what it was, was a book where she visited, I think it was 25 of the top trainers across Ireland and England, horse mm-hmm. trainers. And Aidan O'Brien was one of them, Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott and Nicky Henderson over in England and so on. But the thing that was most striking was that every single one of them did things completely different. Yeah, they had different. They had completely different setups, 
Willie Mullins's, and we and I've had a group of boys there. His gallop is as flat as a pancake. Uh, Joseph O'Brien, it's like climbing Mount Ider. Um, uh, Gordon Elliott has a different setup again. They all have completely different arrangements. They do things very differently, but yet all of them are supremely successful. And I think the thing that it sort of said to me is that ultimately there isn't only one way. Mm. And I think very often in football or in team sports, we get very much suckered into the idea that there's only one way and it's the way that currently, let's say, that Dublin are doing it. Yeah. Or at another time, the way that Tyrone were doing it or Donegal. Mm. And of course, that's not true at all. Yeah. I mean, you have to find a way that's best for the group that you have. Yeah. And, um, you know, Jason Moore is a good friend of mine. Uh, you, you know Jason, I think. And, I mean, we often chatted about this kind of stuff. And Jason always said to me that, you know, coaching and training is as much, it's as much art as it is science. Mm. And I feel that in current, uh, in the current era, there are a lot of coaches who have uh, maybe put far too many of their eggs into the basket of science mm. at the expense of the art. Yeah. And, you know, what I mean by that is that, you know, you can have all the GPS data you like, you can have all the stats you like, you know, you can have all of the science and the testing done, but sometimes you have to be able to sense uh, maybe we need to, you might have a session planned to do X, Y, and Z, and yeah. you may just have to say, no, mid-session, I'm leaving Z out tonight. Yeah. Because I feel that, just think it's the right thing to do. And, you know, even with players at an individual level, I think you have to be able to sense that maybe a different approach is required here. You know, that this guy doesn't need to do what we're all doing. He can drop it out of this session or take a break entirely you know i think that that's important to keep that in mind that when you're coaching that you know you um have a you have to have a feel for it as well as uh having you know the knowledge that comes with the you know the the the, the learning that you've done in terms of qualification yeah, I don't know if you'd agree with me on that, but it's certainly something that uh, I would be quite um, uh, adamant about. Yeah, no, I, I would actually, and I, it might be strange coming from a sports science background, and it's something that I would battle with on a day-to-day -day basis because in my full-time job, we're, we're coming with the science and the GPS analysis and saying, well, this session was below what was planned or it was higher or there's, there was more sprint distance in that session than there, you know, than we had planned or there was not enough accelerations, decelerations. And knowing from my London days when I was coaching, well, mid, mid session, you just, you ripped up the plan and you changed it completely because you just had a feeling from the team that I'm not going to do that. Actually, this is what they need to focus on. Or maybe we're going to cut this session short. Or maybe we're going to go 
halfway through the session, do you know what? Let's just go into a game. Uh, we're not getting what we need to get out of this this practice. So it's 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 a battle. I I, I recently did it in uh, the with the GPA a, a professional certificate in leadership, and it was a, it was a brilliant course, absolutely brilliant course, and it was one one day every month. And I used to fly in from London for the day in 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 Dublin Airport. Uh, they held it in a hotel, and the great thing was that they used to bring in people from all walks of life who've been successful. So, you know, the CEO of some of the biggest companies in Ireland, the CEO of Aer Lingus came into us at, at one stage. And, and like you say, there was, there was never one way of doing things. You know, mm. one, one guy was hard-nosed, very high expectations, pushing the staff. The other, the, the, the next lady was, you know, really... Uh, put a big focus on kind of the sociable part of the, the the business and everybody getting on well together and so it's 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 very interesting and uh, sorry one other character I'd mention like we all know him Harry Redknapp like he was at QPR and now if you were to watch one of Harry's sessions first of all he didn't coach <laughs> but also his the the coaching sessions I mean. You would see an under twelve coach doing the same thing, maybe down the yeah. local pitch. There was nothing special at all, but yet Harry had a way of getting a team playing for him, and he knew how to match up forwards with forwards or a centre back pairing, or so he had a feel for the game and a feel for that performance. That's really the point I'm making. Now, that's not to say that obviously, you know very important that we uh, embrace the science to support uh, what you're doing. I mean, there's no question that, uh, you know, sports science has allowed players to become so much um, stronger, so much faster, uh, so much more, uh, you know, athletic than would have been the case when I played. I mean, and uh, there's no question that it has done that and it has, as a, as a consequence, made the games, you know, more um, dynamic and, and what have you. Um, but I, I think there's also that element that sometimes gets lost um, whereby, you know, especially young people who want to start coaching. I mean, they do the courses and they do a lot of learning and, they, they, you know, they, they have their S&C guy in and all the rest of it. But, you know, there's, there's a dimension to it that, that can't almost it's almost instinctive or that they've got to you know develop by true experience i suppose you know yeah. and uh, uh i think like the harry redknapp is the is, is an extreme example of 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 it but you're right i mean mm. harry seemed to get great uh great re results and uh players did seem to play for him and yeah that's that's critically important yeah yeah, well, one one thing because a lot of young sports scientists would contact me and ask about, you know, advice in their career or what what would you um, recommend to do, and I'd always say, okay, make sure get your get your sports science degree or maybe your masters or whatever it is, but number one, get out and coach, and it doesn't have to be SNC coaching, preferably not but just coach in whatever sport, whatever age, and going along and teaching a, a five-year-old to, to you know, 
bounce the ball and kick it mm. and solo. That's that's coaching in its purest form. Yes, and 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 look at I wouldn't have any fountain of wisdom in in relation to it, and there are ten times better coaches than I. But I mean, I always think also because people would ask you, you know, for bits of advice from time to time, and they'd ask you, for example, do you do you know of any drill that I could use to develop this, that, or the other? And if I if I I might tell them, well, this is what I would do in this situation. But what I would usually tell them is try and come up with one yourself because if i am looking to try and um target a certain uh principle or a, a certain aspect of a game or whatever i like to come up with a, a, a setup a, a drill i don't like the word drill but a, 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 a phase of play that i'd like to come up with it myself because then i feel I have had to think about this from the point, from the starting point of what is it I'm trying to achieve? Mm. And I go back then from there to try and make sure that what I'm doing, what I'm putting in place is designed specifically to achieve the goal that I have set myself in terms of the coaching. And I think that you can never adapt, take a drill that someone else is doing and really own it. Yeah. And that's why almost every drill that or every a piece of work that I would have done, you lads and horse wouldn't so on. I would have, um, you know, come up with them myself largely, you know, because uh, I think that way you are doing things that you're doing with a particular purpose in mind, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a good point. I think we'll go into that. We'll, we'll have a, just a really quick break for a word about the sponsors and we'll, we'll come back and uh, get into some of the coaching thing just to finish up. This episode is sponsored by Ripped, who have come on board with us. Ripped is a platform that connects coaches with their clients and athletes. Using RIPT, coaches can create individualized training programs and monitor their clients' progress via the RIPT app at www.ript.app, where they can track exercise, training loads, and very importantly, well-being data. RIPT is used by high-performance teams such as Swim Ireland and Kerry GA, and also by gyms and online coaches to manage their clients. We're using it ourselves for the new DSS online training service where you can have your own personal trainer and SNC coach to help you get fit and ready for the season or just lose weight and get fit. We have a special offer for coaches over on our website where you can get two months free access, access to RIPT. Just head over to our podcast page on dailysportscience.com forward slash pod and you'll find a link to sign up for that two months free access. If you'd like some more information on RIPT as a service, just go to www.ripped.app to read more there. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Okay, welcome back. Uh, I'm here with Aidan O'Brien. Aidan, you, you've been, you won't like to say it, but you've been highly successful practically with every single team that you've gone into uh, Luckily for, for me and my old teammates with Hoare's Wood in Wexford, we won a, a, a nice few county medals um, for the first time ever in our history. But even places like 
with Adamstown, with lots of other clubs, uh, with Mullinavas last year. I know you got involved a little bit in the, the Leinster Intermediate Championship um, with Good Council, obviously. I thought you did very well with Wexford when you were uh, manager of the Intercounty uh, as well, and a little bit unlucky in some of the games. Like, I'm interested, and you had said previously about that, well, you have to have your own way of doing things or your own philosophy. Something that I've always noticed, and many of us who know you have noticed, is that in all those teams, the players always really wanted to play for you. They always dug deep, and you could, if you saw a Horswood team perform in Wexford Park, you'd say, well, that's an Aidan O'Brien team. Well, look, at I, I can't really say it, but uh, um, look, at I, I would just feel that in terms of teams that I've been involved in, I've just, I, I feel genuinely that I've just been in the right place at the right time, been lucky. I mean, coming to the school here, obviously, was, uh, you know, there was, a, a, the potential was enormous. And uh, I suppose it was great that we managed to, uh, to, to catch in on that. Um, my experience with Horswood, you can reference that because obviously you were part of it. Um, look again, there was a great bunch of players there, um, I suppose. You know, I suppose the question you're asking really is, uh, you know, trying to have a team uh, perform and play for you. Well, look, I, I can only say that. As a as as a, as a coach, I mean, I would always try to um, set high standards for myself in terms of my commitment, uh, my attendance, my timing, my the the, the thought going into into um, preparing sessions, all of that kind of thing. And yeah. I suppose that sets a certain tone. And I suppose players then feel that if you're doing that, that you're obviously very committed to what you're doing. There's no sort of um, half measures. There's no uh, questioning of your uh, enthusiasm for the project. I mean, I know that a few little things. I mean, I remember one time um, uh, coming down to take a session with you guys in Horace Wood. Um, uh, I was away in, for a week or two up in Armagh at the time. I was up in Armagh for the week uh, where my wife is from. and. Uh, I come down on the turtles and I and uh, people are saying, geez, you didn't need to do that, you know. Yeah. Some of us would have taken the session whatever. But I couldn't think like that. And I, yeah. and I knew other people could have taken the session and could have done it as well. Yeah. But I felt, I suppose, that, look, this is an opportunity for me to send a very strong signal to the group that this is how far I'm prepared to go. Yeah. And, you know, and I suppose it sort of uh, it 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 also I suppose makes it more difficult maybe for the players to feel that they can take shortcuts or be less than fully committed if if you're seen to to put in that yourself. And you know I think obviously being personable, being you know treating players with respect, I think. Yeah, it's critical. And uh, like, I have a daughter who has started teaching during the last few years. And I mean, the only advice I give her is that look, obviously, you need to know your subject. You need to be very well prepared. But most importantly, 
establish a relationship with your students. Yeah. And if you do that, teaching is a pleasure. And yeah. uh, you'll get students to work with you and you'll get them to work for you. And, you know, it, it just, it, it's a much more rewarding um, career. And I think the same as applies in coaching. You know, you have to, um, you have to form relationships with the players. Now, obviously, that's easier done in certain circumstances than others. And yeah. it's, it's, it's quite easy to do it at a school level because you're working with young people that are here all the time. And obviously, your relationship is, is, is certainly established anyway. And at the club level, there's a degree to which I had an advantage in a club like Horace Wood because many of the lads were, were, were past pupils of the school here. And most of them, I would say, in fact. Yeah. Um, so that was obviously a help. and. Um, I suppose even, you know, uh, working with other clubs like um, <clears throat> over the years, you just like to think that if you, if, you, if you set the right tone in terms of your own approach, in terms of the, uh, look, professionalism isn't quite the right word, but yeah. in terms of just the fundamentals, doing the fundamentals really well, and uh, obviously then, as I said, that element of forming a relationship with your parents, and that doesn't have to be, you know, that, that's, that's something that, again, you need a sort of a, it's, it's, it's an art in itself, I suppose. You know, not every player can be treated the same. That might sound, sound like the wrong thing, but, you know, you can't, I always think that you can't um, handcuff yourself to a set of rules that are absolute and that are unwavering in terms of how you uh, react and respond to different situations and different players. I mean, certain players need different handling and different set of a different approach than others. And the same is true even at, at clubs, different clubs, you know, respond to different things differently. And it's not like you'd be getting um uh, you know, particularly friendly on a personal level with players or anything, but yeah. you know, you'd, you would get to know them and 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 have respect for them. And uh, you know, yeah. even though you might uh, give out to someone in the context of a of a, a session and the, the effort they were putting in or whatever, it, they would understand perfectly that it wasn't a personal thing. And you'd obviously then maybe counteract that at a later stage in the session by finding something to complement that same player on, you know, so that yeah. you immediately diffuse any sense in their mind that, you know, he doesn't care about, he doesn't, he's not interested in me or he thinks I'm not up to it or anything like that. Yeah. And, yeah. <clears throat> you know, I'm being perfectly honest with you, like, I mean, there's no doubt, I mean, for me, that is becomes a much greater challenge when you move to adult intercounty. Like I had the under twenty ones in the county there at one stage, and uh, that was you know that was never there was no issue. But senior intercounty team is much more of a challenge in relation to the, what we're talking about here because yeah. you're dealing with players who have uh, you know uh, more uh, maybe a greater sense of entitlement, uh, who, who uh, obviously by virtue of the fact that they're with the county team, are obviously all top-class players. They have achieved a lot with their clubs. They've never experienced maybe a situation with their clubs where they wouldn't be automatic selections, that kind of thing. 
and you know just trying to manage the dynamic of that i found uh, it's most challenging at intercounty level and like obviously brian cody I, I i often think about brian cody and what he has done in kilkenny hurling and i i i think for me cody's greatness is the, is very similar to Aidan O'Brien, the horse trainer's greatness. And it is just the staggering capacity to keep coming back year after year and just with the same hunger and determination and drive and enthusiasm. Yeah. I mean, Brian Cody, Aidan O'Brien could easily be forgiven for hanging up their boots several years ago and their record would be extraordinary. Yeah. But there is never... a a dropping of standards or a dropping of the relentlessness in terms of in the pursuit of, of, of success. Now, the point I was going to make is like in reflecting on Brian Cody, like he in his early years was in a position where he had tremendous talent available to him and was able to drop a few players. Like we remember Charlie Carter and yeah. Brian McAvoy and Obviously, once that happened and they succeeded, I mean, his position was yeah. sort of enhanced and strengthened tenfold. I mean, he became, he got into, he was in a position where he was omnipotent, I was Yeah, well, obviously, I, I suppose if you're in the, in the happy position that you can do something like that, it obviously strengthens your position as a, as a, as a manager um, and allows you to... Um, you know, I suppose, uh, you know, cement your position in, in relation to, you know, uh, being beyond, if you like, you know, the rumbles and questioning that would typically uh, happen in a, in, in, in a group. I mean, I suppose, <clears throat> yeah. look, group dynamics are a whole study in themselves. And I mean, it's a fascinating area. And I mean, I remember, you know, in college, when you studying sociology when you know looking at groups and you know when any group is comes together if you brought any random group of people together who let's say were uh, abandoned after some sort of a disaster i mean people who emerge as leaders initially won't necessarily be the people who will ultimately lead the group yeah you know the the, the loud the brash will be the ones that will obviously take hold in the early stages but the more considered and the more uh, resourceful will be the people who will ultimately be the, yeah. be the leaders. And I suppose, you know, when you're working with a group of players, I mean, naturally you're dealing with uh, people who, uh, you know, are there because they have, uh, you know, a high level of ability. They have achieved quite a lot. Many of them, uh, you know, have strong egos and, you're going to disappoint people and yeah. I suppose managing that side of things is always a challenge you know I mean <clears throat> for any manager I mean I mean I'm talking about management now rather than coaching but for yeah. managing a situation like that you know and trying to ensure that the disappointed don't uh, become uh, a, a negative mm. voice or a and, and a, 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 a sort of a, a lightning rod for others to join uh, as a sort of a, a negative 
uh, subtext in everything you're doing. That's a challenge, you know, and yeah. it's inevitable that if you don't pick me to play on your team, that I'm going to be hurt and I'm probably going to gravitate towards some other fellow who wasn't picked and tell him that, in my opinion, he should be playing so that he'll tell me that he too, he too believes that I should be playing. And there's a little um, uh, uh, a, 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 a pair formed and it's not very difficult to draw others uh, to join in. And, um, you know, combating that sort of uh, challenge in a group such as a, a squad yeah. is, is really important it's that you manage that well and that you get on get that deal with that and yeah. i think i mean you managed in london and i'm sure you probably came across that challenge uh, and you know it's like when you're winning and you're successful yeah. obviously it spikes the guns of the disaffected but when yeah. you lose well they now have uh you know a position from where they can say, well, if I was playing or if you had used me or if you had done things differently, well, we would have won, you know. And, you know, it's like the hurler and the ditch. You can never, you can never prove him wrong, uh, you know, because he, you know, you're the only one that's in the position who uh, that has to make the calls and it's your decision and only that that will be uh, judged ultimately. But, yeah. you know, I, I suppose... I'm not sure where I've started with this whole point, but for me, uh, you know, coaching is one thing, but managing is a different thing. And, and, and like, I often think that most guys who end up managing uh, inter-county football teams or hurling teams actually started life as coaches and yeah. it's coaching that I really wanted to be doing. Yeah. And coaching that I most enjoy, uh, uh, as opposed to managing the team. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think perhaps that's um, a certain, there's a certain curiosity about that in Gaelic games, you know, that, yeah. as I say, most managers actually were... They're, they're coaches. Really, no. Yeah. I think it, for, for me, being involved with London, that was the part that was the hardest and the least enjoyable, is just dealing with, on a day-to-day -day basis, the disaffected, the players who weren't playing the players who weren't in the matchday squad. I mean, there were so many things to manage uh, alongside making sure, you know, everything is okay with the coaching and the logistics and the operations and the food. And on a day-to-day yeah. -day basis, you had to manage that. And what I found, which you alluded to, it's so easy to get tripped up on it. You know, one wrong word or something that you say to a player and they take it up in a certain way. It's, it's, it's a minefield and it's, um, I suppose not everybody ha has the luxury of being able to drop, you know, multiple All-Ireland winning players like Brian Cody could and, and, and Jim Gavin could as well. I, I want to go back just briefly, Aidan, to a couple of really interesting points that you made uh, at the start of that where you said about showing that commitment because in the current era of kind of high performance and sports science and everything like that, it's such an easy thing for people to say and to put up on walls and signs and everything like that about show commitment. But I think it's another thing for the coach to actually live that. And I think that that was something about you as a coach always in that, and you showed some examples of actually 
following through and being always early and going the extra step. And I think players, they, they notice that and they see how much it means to them and they see how much kind of um, embedded you are in this and in this journey. And it, it affects them, I think, in, in a positive sense. Well, I think it, I, I would agree, and I know that personally you'd be more inclined to um, uh, be impressed by uh, somebody who displays that quality, whether it's in their work uh, here or whether it's um, in any other area of life. You know, I mean, you know, Aidan O'Brien, we've mentioned him a number of times, but he or his ilk could be forgiven for having a lie on and yeah. uh, letting the lads uh, run work with the horses and uh, getting up at nine or ten o'clock but I can assure you he's the first man up around uh, Ballydoyle every morning and yeah. that means every morning he actually said to me once the only time I leave here is to go to the races and go to mass and <laughs> uh, that's and that's like and and you know there are lots of uh, archetypal stories about Aidan you know he'd be racing in Royal Ascot to have a winner and he'd be back in the yard at five o'clock that evening you know having yeah. thrown home so nice. and that kind of commitment to what he's doing is is I suppose what we're talking about and yeah I, I no doubt all the top guys and all those most successful coaches exhibit that in what they do yeah. and um, yeah. you know it's I, I think it's fundamental I think it, it has to be there or, or else you're really nothing you're going to lose you know confidence of the players like I suppose when you're coaching you're trying to inspire players mm. to go to places that aren't easy go to you know to push themselves to the limits that are that are that are hurting them you know and if you were asking players and you know somehow requiring and demanding the players go to that sort of extreme, then you have to be able to show them something in yourself that uh, uh, sort of reciprocates that. And yeah. that would be the way I would uh, feel about it. I mean, I know I, I, I remember saying to a group one time at the beginning of a campaign, I said, look, I really hope I, I am never missing any session with you during the course of this campaign. Because you can take it that if I am, it's because somebody belonged to me has died. Yeah. And because, you know, I knew that I wouldn't be missing any session for any other reason, for a yeah. golf game or whatever the heck it would be. You know, there's yeah. have to have been something bad. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I didn't want that to be the case. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that would be, I suppose, my view on the kind of, you have to be really committed as a coach because of the, because of what you're expecting from the players, yeah, I mean, you know, and so listen, isn't that the case in um, in, in any area of life? In, yeah, in work. I mean, if you're a, a manager of a of a business and uh, you're hardly ever in on time, or you're hardly you're golfing half the time, or you're not there much of it. I mean, it's gone. To, it's bound to. Um, it's bound to. Uh, uh, send a signal to your employees and it's bound to have an effect on their levels of motivation in terms of their work and so on and uh, yeah. you know, uh, perhaps if Donald Trump had uh, spent less time on the golf course he might have <laughs> returned to, he might have returned to the White House 
<laughs> well, we don't we don't know for sure whether he's not going to return to the White House in January, but let's oh, yeah. hope not. I th- I think it's a, it's a good summary point as regards like people and coaches can get so obsessed about this marginal gains and stuff like that, and they forget those big rocks of good coaching, good players. You know, because without good players, you're not going to do anything, and then just that commitment and sacrifice and determination and hard work. Yeah, well, I, I sometimes, it goes back to an earlier point where we talked about the, the science and the art. Like, I do think sometimes coaches, there are some coaches who they attend to all the, the peripheral stuff, hmm. but, for, but take their eye off what the core business is, yeah. and that is the on-field work that they're doing, the coaching, yeah. the you know the the fundamental stuff that's so important. Like you can have the best setup you like in terms of the uh, the you know the supports around that, but if that core business isn't good, well then you're you're really not going anywhere. I mean, and look, it mightn't be a bad way to finish off, but we started this whole conversation uh, con- referring to uh, your former. Uh, school principal and my uh, former boss, uh, Father John Cosgrave. Well, one thing that his mantra at the beginning of every school year at our staff meetings was the quality of any service is at the point of delivery. <laughs> and I always thought it was a fantastic uh, uh, motto in that you take it in a, a restaurant. I mean, you could do brilliant things back in the kitchen and have the best chef in the world and everything can be phenomenal and the ingredients but when that plate is delivered in front of the customer out in the restaurant it's only there that it really matters whatever went on previously is lost you know so that it's at the point of delivery that uh that uh that all quality that the quality of any service will be judged you know yeah absolutely no that's i think that's a brilliant motto well thank thank you very much for coming on i think this has been a very personal podcast for me i i hope uh you've enjoyed looking back on your career i i hope the listeners will enjoy it i have a lot uh, to be very very thankful to you as a mentor for me as a player in colleges and in club i'm i'm 100% sure I would never have been any way sex successful without your mentorship as, as a player um, and also as a coach as well in, in, in terms of when I was with London, I would often get on the phone or send a text message looking for a bit of advice about stuff and um, I appreciated that always. So anybody who's given out about what I'm saying out on Twitter or dailysportscience.com or whatever, go and speak to Aidan O'Brien because he was the mentor. Yeah, I am taking no responsibility <laughs> whatsoever for any of your shortcomings. Uh, neither would I take any for all that you've achieved on your own back. And, uh, look, of course I've enjoyed the conversation because I suppose there's none of us that uh, don't enjoy, uh, you know, a little trip down memory lane from time to time. And it's not something I do very much and yeah. I don't... Uh, swaddle myself with uh, memorabilia or anything yeah. like that um, you know I don't have many pictures or anything like that adorning my house or anything like yeah. that uh, yeah. I, 
you know, it's in my mind. I remember the good times and I don't need that. Uh, but it's lovely to, to think back on some of those, uh, some of those times that we, that we shared, yes? Great. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I hope when, when, we, when we roll out this vaccine or get over this, um, this very virus period, we'll, be, we'll come back for a visit. I'll have a little, a little Sri Lankan, English, Irish, mixed heritage little brown boy for you to meet. <laughs> back in Wexford, so we'll um fantastic. We'll we'll get and, a visit uh, in. Yeah, yeah, and and look at I mean it's interesting that like you talk about maybe learning a bit from me, but the roles were reversed in the sense that I have taken the opportunity to visit you in the academy in Queens Park Rangers and to see yeah. uh, what happens there and uh, to sort of take some uh, some learning from it. So yeah, uh, there you are. You know. Uh, I have become the the student you were master. <laughs> well, we we'll definitely end it on that. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll take that. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks, Aidan. Thanks for coming on, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks. Yeah. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. The Locker Room Podcast is brought to you by DailySportsScience.com an online elite coaching and sports science service, membership service. Uh, you can search all the information and services over at dailysportscience.com. You'll see everything over there. I'm here with Ross and Joe. Lads, there's loads of stuff going on at the moment. Ross, you, we'll run through really quick. Ross, you've got a really interesting off-season coaches CPD series, video series for the members. Yeah, yeah, really good kids. So six-part um uh, presentation, six part presentation, six different topics that uh, are kind of out there on social media and stuff. And I'm kind of, let's say, doing three to four of them, and, and you guys are taking the baton on that. So, really good so far. We've had two released based on the individual training session and periodization. Uh, recorded one recently around developing the individual player. We've got one around the physical corner, and then you guys are taking over the tactical side and also the environment and culture. So really good um, opportunity, especially with things going on in Ireland at the minute to learn and, and keep sharing information. So really enjoyed that, really good feedback um, and they'll be released throughout the next six weeks. Great stuff, Joe. There's loads of Gaelic football and hurling practices going up as well. Yeah, there is, Karen. Uh, every, every week there's, uh, there are Gaelic uh, practices going up. <clears throat> and I know that Ross talked about, um, I think I'm doing CPD session four, which is how to set up a team tactically. So um, uh, I'm putting up uh, some kickouts there, for instance, and some uh, defensive structures that coaches can kind of get, get used to in the off-season and plan, plan to bring in maybe, maybe next season. So yeah, lots of stuff there uh, coming up on the website in terms of practices. Good stuff. We've got an off-season uh, GA program as well in terms of gym program and fitness and running program as well, uh, designed by Ben Smalley, our sports scientist as well, um, and overlooked by Ross as well, head of performance. So that's really good for all members. So they're all exclusive members. The last two things to mention then is the Locker Room webinar series, which is closed for exclusive for our DSS members. So that's every second Monday night, we bring on an expert to do a presentation, a PowerPoint presentation through Zoom. Everyone can dial in live and then ask some questions as well. It's been really popular and it's, it's a brilliant new initiative. We're always coming up with these new initiatives. The last thing then to mention is the buddy referral scheme. So that's where a member can uh, send, it, send a referral to their friend. 
the friend will get 25% off the sign up fee and then the person, the member will get access to one of the GA positional profile videos. So Ross, we did them over the last few weeks. I think there's some good content there. Class content. I think it's a great initiative instead of just, you know, normally the person who refers someone doesn't get anything and the, the new member gets whatever the offer is. But this stuff is gold dust, in my opinion. You know, you get info on what uh, each positional essential is and what you're looking for for each player and how to coach it. So it gives you real good information on, on developing the individual players in your team. Yeah, exactly. And remember, for members, it's less than 15 quid a month. Ross, that's less than a Ross Bennett haircut once a month to cut back those golden locks. And less than, I think, the book I wrote four years ago still hasn't creeped up to 15 quid. So <laughs> you're getting so much for that, for sure. Yeah, and this hair, I only get a haircut once a year, Keir, so 15 pounds a year is not bad, I don't think. Yeah, the girls in the house here, Ross, they just said, what is the point in Ross Bennett if he doesn't have long, flowing blonde hair? They get disappointed exactly. when it's cut. I know, it's, it's coming back, it's coming back. <laughs> so yeah, the book, so for the price of Ross Bennett's book, which you should all go out and, and buy, I've forgotten the name of it now at the moment. But... I can tell you, kids, injury <laughs> prevention and rehabilitation. Now, we never knew I was going to plug that on here, but I need to <laughs> Christmas is coming up, I need some sales. Christmas is coming. I've got two copies of them here, Ross, so we can maybe, we can sell that off secondhand to Joe. He might, yeah, he but... might be able to use it. You need them for the doorstop in those heavy doors of yours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Joe, I was just about to say that you, you'd need, um, you'd need a, a few quid for the online dating, but the, your, those days are over for you. Uh, yeah, I think they are cured. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. Good to hear it. He tried to, to keep it quiet, but those weekends in the New Forest, we knew you wasn't going on your own, Joe. Exactly. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was dodgy. It was dodgy. 15 quid, Joe, per month, not much. Yeah. Yeah, 15 quid a month, yeah. I've, I've had a look at, uh, I think, four or five of the positions, and I've never, ever seen, uh, you know, uh, as much detail in terms of the different positions in, in football, in Gaelic football, broken down into so much detail. So there's lots of, uh, as Ross said, it's gold dust. There's lots of great learning points there for coaches yeah. and managers. Great, good stuff, good stuff. Okay, uh, enjoy the rest of the episode, everybody. The podcast, remember, dailysportscience.com and head over... Um, we've actually started a new offer for listeners to the podcast. So just use pod 20 as a voucher code to sign up membership and you get 20% off as well. So for any new members out there or relapse members, just use pod 20 and you get 20% off membership. A good time, as the lads say, Ross was saying with all the new CPD and everything. So a good time to join up. Okay, enjoy.